Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with not Mike and Laurent. It is Friday the 13th. Dun, dun, dun. No, it's not. It's Thursday the 12th. In this episode, sh- City show their class. Leeds are dying to go down. Everton are limp. But first, folks, we've got to cover the North London Derby. Okay, Mike should be here to talk about his team playing in the North London Derby, but he's not. So he's not. And that's just how it is. <laughs> he's not feeling well. He's been under the weather. And you know what? This season's dragging on. And he called this game. He really thought Spurs would would handle it. Arsenal had been winless in their last five attempts to go to uh, Tottenham Stadium. And there really wasn't much in it. There was a little needle, a lot of needle. So if you don't know the backstory to this game, it was supposed to be played in the middle of the winter. And it got canceled because Arsenal bailed on it, essentially. They said they had a couple COVID cases, they weren't ready, and they got the game canceled. Mind you, they had just sent players out on loan and sent players away. So it was a little bit of a dirty moment to take advantage of some of the COVID rules. And in fact, they changed them right after that. So we have some needle there. And then we have, you know, Arteta and Conte are both fired up counter managers. You've got a young Arsenal team playing against what we have to say at this point is a veteran uh, Spurs team. Spurs are, I'll, I'll check it as I go. Spurs are the veteran of the pair of teams. We'll just get a quick look at the squad age. Arsenal, we know, are average about 25 years old. And I would guess Tottenham's more in the average age of 27, 28. So Tottenham's is 25, is 27, which is pretty normal. But then Spur, but it's Arsenal who's very, very young. And especially once they lost Obama Yang, they're very young. They are the youngest team in the league. They, and so that showed in this game. That showed in this game. Rob Holding, God bless him. Uh, Spurs, I mean, Arsenal had some players out to lunch. Within the first few minutes, he's tussling with, um, so Cedric Suarez, Cedric? Cedric, I think his name is. They're, they're back up left back and holding their back at left mid, left defender. They just couldn't handle Sonny, uh, Hinman son. And within the first minute, they're tussling and wrestling. A minute later, there's another foul between the two. And very quickly, it's clear Holding is getting wound up. Sun's in his face. Sun is creating trouble for him. They're wrestling on the ground. And Holding gets his... Sorry. I've got that wrong. <laughs> early in the game, I, I don't know why I forgot that there was a goal early. I was talking about Cedric. Cedric gets called for some call that son across the box gets pushed in the back or knocked over. It's a bad play. Harry Kane puts the penalty away. So it's fiery. There's a lot of energy. First quarter hour all over the place. What you expect from a London Derby. What you would expect from a North London Derby. They're going back and forth. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of energy in the stadium. It's really strong. I did watch the first half. Kane puts away his penalty. I didn't even see it. I don't know what Cedric did. It looked like a handball because there were hands everywhere. But once you look in the replay a couple times, you can see um, Cedric Suarez does smash Sun in the back. They call. They make the call. Okay, fine. They can feel hard done. Then Rob Holding gets his first yellow card. It's marginal. It's fair. It's okay. 
That's fine. But then, minutes later, he just elbows Sonny across the face. Okay, he made it a half an hour. Good for him. But this is one of the things that's indicative of Arsenal. And Rob Holding is not holding. Rob is elbowing. He just loses his cool. His hairpiece uh, and wig just cause him trouble. And once that red goes through, this thing is over. Uh, by the end of the half, Kane scores another goal. Really nice stuff set up by Betancourt on a header uh, off the corner. He flicks it on to, to Kane. Uh, and Ketia really shouldn't be defending Kane. Kane stoops in at the back post. It's 2-0 at halftime. This thing is over. And that's unfortunate because Arsenal, we're looking good for the season. But now we have this game put together. Um, I would I would imagine that Arsenal fans are feeling incredibly, incredibly hard done by Paul Tierney, the referee. Okay. Um, it just was never one of those things. Now, to be fair to Arsenal, they did build up a four-point lead, so they can withstand this loss. Um, but this is a moment of resiliency that I think Spurs, that I think Arsenal has to put together and move on. There's a lot of complaining. There's a lot of back and forth. All the sort of narrative stuff that you get with a North London derby. But this game was effectively over uh, within a half hour once holding gets sent off. I mean, there's just... There's just really nothing else to talk about. It's just kind of a <sighs> Arsenal learning the lessons of being a young team. Holding's not that young, weirdly enough. I mean, he's, you know, Holding is supposed to be one of the veterans on this team. You know, he's he's 26. He's one of the older players. And he had been playing well and doing a job, but I think pressed into regular duty, it's just too much for him and bridge too far. And he gets sent off, essentially killing this game off uh, very early. Uh, Spurs are too uh, Spurs are too good, especially when they can sit on a break and really just play into um, the hands of Arsenal. One side note story is Hin Min Sun did get a second goal in this game. He's playing on a hat trick. He knows and wants to get the golden boot from Mo Salah, and. Um, in the 72nd minute, he gets pulled off. Uh, he, well, he he he's he's pulled. He has he's only got the one goal, but he gets pulled off in the 72nd minute, and he's sort of grumpy at uh, at Conte, which is kind of nice. You like to see a player want to score the goals. He's a pretty cool character, Hyun Min Sun. Uh, he does want to keep scoring goals and playing. And he knew that this was a great game for him to do that. Uh, Kane was man of the match. Nine shots, four on target, two goals, just killing it in that sense. And, you know, he continues his amazing record. He's the all-time leader in goals in the North London Derby in Premier League history. I wonder if that's true for all-time history because we know history stops at 1992. Uh, but Spurs, we will fight until the end. Arsenal have to pick themselves up. Spurs do have the easier of the schedules, and we'll go through that in a minute. Spurs have their last two games are Burnley and Norwich. Burnley is tough. Norwich is completely toast. And Arsenal's last two games are Newcastle and Everton. So a little, both tough, especially Newcastle away. But we've been saying Newcastle is tough, but are they tough? Um, are they? 
we got to see some resiliency. We'll see the last time that um, Spurs lost, that Arsenal lost, they ended up losing three in a row. We'll see. If they lose three in a row, that'll be a very, very Arsenal collapse in a really bad way. Uh, I don't think that'll happen. But we shall see amazing, amazing stuff in the North London Derby. And I want to talk about my goddamn team. Now, first, we have to talk about Liverpool. Liverpool, we know they got their three points against Aston Villa. They huffed and puffed. I, we talked about it on Tuesday because the, the game was a day late. But we knew that Liverpool had had their win. They were up. They were level on points with Manchester City, closing in on goal difference. Mane with the reverse header. So it was on City on Wednesday to go to uh, to go to the Molyneux which is uh, Wolves' home. And they go to the Molyneux, and it's an open game. And they just kick the shit out of fucking Wolves. Um, Kevin De Bruyne. What a fucking man. He scores four goals on 7, 16, 24, 6, and 60. All better than the other one. Just an amazing, amazing performance. And a nice emphasis, especially on a game where it's a night game. Only City are playing because they staggered all the starts. And you really get to appreciate how good Kevin De Bruyne is. He runs through on goal. He deflects one in. Uh, just all incredible different types of goals. Left foot, right foot, whatever he wants. Three goals on his left, two on his right. Just an amazing player. Really makes City go when you think about how good and how precise Manchester City are in the way they play that he's the standout player from this team really goes to show you how good he is now it doesn't mean that City aren't great and can't play without him in fact City's uh Centurion season Kevin De Bruyne wasn't playing he missed most of the season but he's such an important player especially he's a game changer he is the player who wants to get on the ball who will turn and run I mean to have 15 goals from the midfield is really an incredible feat. Only a handful of players have ever done it. Yaya Torre, Frank Lampard, and I believe uh, Steven Gerrard are the only players from the midfield to score as many goals as as uh, Kevin De Bruyne has. So you really get a sense. I mean, to score 15 goals from the midfield is an incredible achievement, uh, especially on a team like City. So the fear that I always have of Wolves, of how good they are, is really only when they have Adama Traore. They did get one goal back. I did think that uh, this young kid that they have uh, called um, Chiquinho out of Brazil, really good player. Only start, only has played a few games. The 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 the, uh, the wing back on the right side was really really good. Uh, but City were so dominant, especially in this three one, in this four three three. But but with Kevin De Bruyne playing in a number ten role and Gundogan and Rodri sitting deep, just. And, and on purpose, because uh, City's back line is kind of a mess right now. Laporte got really hit bad. Fernandinho came out. No Diaz, no Stones, no Walker. So all the best defenders for City are, are out. But City are effectively almost over the line. They have a three-point lead, a seven-goal difference. They have gone on a run right now to sort of, after the Real Madrid game really hurts, to put up you know, their last... They have not scored less than three goals 
in a month. So three against Brighton, five against Watford, four against Real, four against Leeds, five against Newcastle, and five against Wolves. So they really they really picked up their offense of a team with no striker, no defenders, can't defend, and no leaders. As as uh, Patrice Everest said about City, somehow we're leading our way and really showed a lot of energy. So I'm proud of the team. I'm lifted off the floor from from where City were a couple days ago, and effectively, City have one hand on the title. There are two games to play. They have a three point lead, and they just need to win one of those two. Because a draw is not good enough for a draw does not end the season, but um, effectively, City have a one point lead because of uh, because of the um, tiebreaker. Yeah, they need to win one of their next two for sure, and then they can lose on the last day if they need to. But it's getting very very close. So City don't get their goal of the Champions League, but City are cruising right now. Uh, looking really, really good to retain the title. And um, frankly, I'm, I'm starting to breathe easier. Uh, I have recovered from the Real Madrid loss. I am getting saltier about my team, like Pep's getting salty. We're starting to come out of our shell and be like, you know what? We're fucking Manchester City. Fuck you. Fuck you. Don't disrespect how good we are. Don't disrespect what we've done. Don't disrespect that this is easy. This is not easy. Winning four tro- winning four Premier League titles out of five years where everyone is like, oh, making the top four is so hard. How about winning the fucking league? That shit's hard too. So don't belittle it. I hate that people think that City just do this in a cakewalk. It's not easy. It's not just any manager. It's this manager. It's this team. It's these players. Mancini may have won the league, but he collapsed a year later because he couldn't sustain it. Pellegrini may have won the league, but he collapsed two seasons later, two seasons later, because he couldn't sustain it. Pep's first season, he couldn't win the league because the team was old and he needed to in- invest and get the fullbacks he needed. This is fucking hard. And what City do is make it look easy so people think that it's easy. What Liverpool do is really fucking hard. And you saw last season. Even a little slip-up. Van Dijk out for the season. All of a sudden, you're struggling to make the top four. These teams are incredible. And the more we belittle them and the more we take for granted of how good they actually are, the the less we're in the moment to appreciate how good the players are. Uh, Maybe this is a little bit of a rant, but I think if you don't follow City and you don't follow Liverpool, you might think, oh, it's easy, it's easy, it's easy. Look at how much your team struggles if you're an Arsenal fan. You couldn't break down Brighton. You couldn't uh, uh, sustain and have players fall apart versus Spurs. Look at Spurs have a big run and then lose versus Burnley. Inexplicably, out of nowhere, have not three, two, three losses in a row. Those are good teams. And Spurs is a good team with two of the greatest strikers in the Premier League, with Son and Kane. With Arsenal, with the best young players in the world, between Smith Rowe and Saka and and Martinelli and Odegaard, the best young midfielder in the league, and and Ben White, one of the best defenders in the league. It's really fucking hard to do what City and Liverpool are doing and to disrespect them by saying it's just checkbook. Yeah, 
they have a margin for error. Both teams now. They both have talent. I don't belittle um, Liverpool's talent. I think that they're awesome at getting good deals, but any of the players on their team, like if you think about Robertson, yes, they bought him for half a million dollars, but if they sold him now, he's a $60 million fullback. The thing, is, the difference is, is that City just bought Kyle Walker as a $60 million fullback, um, or, or they don't mind paying what the guy might be worth to them, whereas Liverpool have to create the value in that player. And that's fine. I don't begrudge them, right? Like Trent Alexander-Arnold is an academy player that is worth $100 million. That's fine. They did great. But these two squads between Liverpool and Manchester City are incredible. But what they do is not easy. It's really fucking hard. And you can see that in the team like Chelsea, who do defeat Leeds in the next round. But they were there, and they had a little bit of go wrong. They had the Abramovich thing. They had a little bit with Lukaku, and the mentality changed, and they just dropped their levels. Just a little bit. And their season collapsed. Do I think Chelsea could win the league next season? Absolutely. They are as good as Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester City. As good. They have as good a coach, but little things. A little bit of mentality shift, an injury here, a player out there, um, a Lukaku problem here or there, and all of a sudden, you drop your level and you're just gone. You just can't sustain the levels needed for winning the league. I mean, Chelsea won the fucking Champions League. The difference between Chelsea and City is three wins and five draws. Those draws can be wins. Those losses are are lucky, bad luck. It's 30 goals, or, or between Liverpool, it's 20 goals. They're not far off. In the standings, it looks bad. But the, the point I'm making is it's really hard to get where you are. And um, yeah, and Chelsea do take out Leeds. Uh, Leeds implode again uh, in their relegation fight. Dan James just decides to kill uh, Kovacic on a tackle where he puts his studs right into his ankle. And again, Leeds lose another player on a red card right away. Uh, Mason Mount put Chelsea up. And then within minutes, Dan, another 20 minutes later, Dan James just loses his head and smashes into Kovacic. Uh, and then Chelsea proceed in the second half. Pulisic scores a nice one. And then Lukaku, who's getting some run late in the season. But right now, basically, Havertz and uh, Werner and the group are resting because Chelsea have the FA Cup final this weekend against Liverpool. But uh, they're getting themselves together. And I fear for Leeds now. Leeds are now really, really, really in trouble. Uh, while Dan James hasn't been scoring goals, he is one of their better players and they need him. Uh, and he was doing a lot of running for them, and he's gone now. Uh, they lost Ailing, who was their top player, uh, top defender, you know, an important player for them. So now they're playing four center backs. They don't have any fullbacks. I don't know what's left for uh, Leeds at this point. They are going to have a hard time. Now, could they get a win over the next few days? Yeah, I think so. I think Leeds are, have a win in them, but they have to find it. They have to find a way to beat Brighton at home or Brentford away. Or better yet, both. Um, but it looks like the bounce that they got from Marsh, the three wins and two draws in his first five games, it came at the right time and they needed them. But then the losses to City, Arsenal, and Chelsea, no, no harm in those losses. 
but it was the manner of them. They really got blown out. Alien gets himself sent off and now uh, on a, gets himself a red for three games. And now um, Dan James as well. So Chelsea sitting pretty in their third spot. They definitely can't drop out of the race now. They, after Arsenal lose, Chelsea are safe in third. They're really not going to drop that with a four-point lead and two games to go. But they do have the FA Cup against Liverpool coming right up. There's no reason they can't beat Liverpool. Liverpool could easily end up with no trophies. It's very, very possible and not hard for that to happen. Um, So we know where they are. Everton. Everton needed this game, but I think they're in decent shape. But they do get a draw versus Watford away. For Everton, actually, a draw away is pretty good considering they hadn't won anything away from home for months and months and months. They do have 10 wins, and I had been talking about eight. They played better than Watford. Watford didn't create anything. The chances did come for Everton. They just did not um, get anything home. They take 16 shots, five on target. Watford just do nothing. Uh, So this is a good result for Everton. They can't feel great about it. Uh, Gray and Richarlison, you know, just a handful of shots on target here and there. They get the job done. They have their point. Uh, It doesn't look like doesn't look like um, their hero in Pickford has to do anything. So Frank Lampard can be happy with that point. They are moving along. They're doing what they need to do, getting that point, being ready for the fight. Uh, Just down the stretch, Everton are showing their class. They were always better than the rest of the teams. They just looked so bad. And I think that their spirit was kind of broken. And as they have got that push from the fans against Chelsea, to push them up the table that seems to have lifted them. They're now sitting on 36. Everyone's uh, uh, with the same amount of games as Burnley. So they're two points ahead of Burnley, Uh, both Burnley and Everton. uh, Burnley and Leeds are on 35. No, no, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Burnley and Everton both have one more game to play than Leeds. Leeds is on 36 with the rest of the league, except for Manchester United, who seem to be only one game left. (laughs) they're on 58 points. That's so bad. Uh, Anyway, and I thought 66 was bad. Um, So we have the FA Cup final this weekend between Liverpool and Chelsea. They have probably, Liverpool and Chelsea have probably played two of the better games of the season. The heroic early season draw after a player got sent off that Chelsea played when we thought they might be champions. The League Cup final on penalties, that was incredible, uh, where where Chelsea just should have won that. I mean, there's no reason ever <laughs> that Chelsea would, shouldn't have won that League Cup. Uh, so Chelsea go into this game relatively healthy, uh, rested, essentially, while Liverpool are just on a grind of games. They just, they're going to play the maximum amount of games you could play. I think Liverpool, now that they're in the Champions League final, could end up with, I believe it's, 65 total games. They're currently on... How many games did they play? I have to see. I believe... I believe they're on 60... 60 60-something games? I believe they're on 65 games or something ridiculous like that. Some absurd number of games. Uh, Let me just check. Yeah, so 58... 59 games at this point with two three, 
with four to play. Yeah, they'll be around 55 games, which is which 65 games, which is just an incredible number of games to play in a season. And I think it's starting to wear on them a little bit. They've been sputtering down the line. They're an incredible team. But I could see them losing this FA Cup final easily. It's just not that hard to think it could happen. They are a special team. They are an amazing team. But Chelsea are really fucking good. And Thomas Tuchel will have something for them if he can get Chelsea up to win this title. This is the last important game for Chelsea's season. This could make or break their season. If Chelsea can get the league, uh, the Club World Cup and an FA Cup, despite sort of slipping a little bit down the stretch here, it will have been a successful season. We know that the new owners are in place for Chelsea. We know that Thomas Tuchel likes to put something in on people. This is a good Chelsea team. And as long as Mason Mount is playing well and they finish their chances, I really like Chelsea to have a shot here. Now, is it weird that I'm going to say, oh, I'd rather have Chelsea win? Listen, it's a close game. I mean, Liverpool are favored. Fine. But it's neutral ground at Wembley. Good Saturday afternoon game. I hope it's a good game. I really want to see uh, Liverpool lose. I mean, I don't. I have no love for Chelsea, but I like Liverpool less. And I love the idea of this quadruple thing that's going on. Well, you're not going to fucking win the league because City are. And if you drop this FA Cup, you're going to end up with a League Cup. And you could lose the Champions League. You might end up with nothing. I love that Liverpool are being considered the greatest team of all time and have fucking two trophies. So fuck off. Fucking Liverpool. Fucking assholes. Drive me nuts. I love schadenfreude. In fact, today I watched, (laughs) I'm a sick person. I actually watched uh, the Brighton game with United just to see United play badly. Sorry, John. I just, John Santana, my poor, my poor friend who loves United just getting clobbered every time I fucking talk to him. They're so bad right now. Uh, But I did enjoy it. I, I do find interesting this time of year, you really kind of lose a lot of predictive qualities because the games just get crazy and teams are playing for things and other teams are on game 55 while other teams are on game 36 and how much energy do they have and how much do they care and how much do they are players contracts involved and all these things that are pretty amazing about where the season is uh do fascinate me at this point right like Mo Salah does he want the golden boot is 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 Sonny really gunning for him do they want to get those goals um you know, all these things, all these little battles here and there uh, down the stretch. You know, do some teams want to finish in the top spaces? Does does West Ham want to try and catch United and, and take them out of the Europa League? Like, where are these fights that come up all around the table that we can wonder about and see where teams are going and what they want to do? Um, we should probably go into the schedule uh, and have a look at where things are for all the races. So we know that there's a top four battle between Tottenham and Arsenal. Right now, Tottenham are one point behind Arsenal. Arsenal have Newcastle away and the, on Monday, and Tottenham have Burnley. Burnley have his, uh, Tottenham have historically had a problem with Burnley. They lost earlier in the season after the amazing, after the, after the City game, which they won. Uh, these are the types of teams that Tottenham has a hard time with. And especially if this season is in the narrative, after having a big win, can they pull themselves together on a Thursday, Sunday to pull it off against uh, Burnley? 
Leeds have Brighton at home. This is a relegation important game. If Leeds lose this game, they are in trouble and probably going down. Uh, we expect Burnley to lose. The thing is with with Leeds is they've got to get something from these two games because if Burnley and Leeds lose out, then Leeds goes down because Leeds has a terrible goal difference and Burnley's is actually quite good considering where they are. So those are there's that. Uh, City play West Ham in London. Um, no one expects them to lose, but you know West Ham are going to play hard and we're going to see where City are. Uh, you know We could have a title race. I do not expect City to lose this game uh, at all. And then Liverpool play on Tuesday because on Saturday they play the FA Cup. So this is where it gets really tough for Liverpool. They've got to play the FA Cup on Sunday and then Tuesday turn back around and play and play Southampton away. Never an easy game. Never an easy game. Then midweek we have more. Well, we'll pick those up later on in the season. And we're getting into the final day of the season. I mean, we just we have this week and then we get into, you know, Super Sunday. It's just crazy. This is the penultimate weekend of the Premier League season. And Mike and I are tired. Uh, we've put a lot into the season. Uh, it's been a joy to help everyone and, and show people what we know about the Premier League. But uh, this has been a long season. And I do want to show the table. Uh, you can see here, City are up, uh, riding a five-game winning streak. They are on 89. The goal difference is plus seven. And that is the tiebreaker. So if Liverpool and City, let's say on the final game of the season, City lose by a goal and they're and and Liverpool win, Liverpool have to win by seven goals <laughs> or six, depending on what happens with City's game. Let's assume they lose 1-0. So there's a lot. It's going to be tough. A tie does not support Liverpool. So they need City to more than just lose one game. They need to lose and draw... They need a loss and a draw, basically. City really have to collapse. They've got this thing in our hands. Uh, Chelsea are safe. They'll probably finish in fourth on 70. Uh, Arsenal and Tottenham are going to fight it out for this final spot. Arsenal have the tougher games. Tottenham have the easier games. And are actually, the underlying numbers like Tottenham better. Uh, Tottenham have been much, much better under Conte. A lot of the difficult period was under Nuno. Uh, and figuring that out. Then you see United here are really on the beach and really collapsing down the stretch. Same for West Ham. West Ham having a hard time sustaining uh, sustaining where they are at this point uh, and having a hard time pushing themselves on. Um, but you can see... Oh, let's go through the whole table. Let's just make sure it looks nice. I'll keep it narrow. There we go. Uh, so if you're listening on the pod, I'm just going through the table. Uh, we're up to Man United in six who are struggling. They could end up in the Conference League if West Ham can grab some points and United stop winning. I don't expect West Ham to get too much more. They're playing City next, and I don't want them to win that game. Wolves on the beach, really slipping now. Winless in their last six, in their last five. Their underlying numbers were bad the whole season. Jose Sa was holding them together with incredible goalkeeping. And then my friends in Brighton, who are just playing out of their minds might have a chance to get to 53 points, which would be an amazing result for Brighton, especially if they can get over 500. Right now they're at 11, 14, and 11. So an over 500 record 
would be an amazing result for them. Uh, Leicester slid around. They got beat the other day. I didn't like what was happening. Uh, Crystal Palace on the beach as well in 11th. They're trying to make sure that they can buy Connor Gallagher, uh, but I don't think that Chelsea will want to let him go. It depends on the ownership. It depends on what happens with that, you know, if they're going to buy, if they're going to keep him. Uh, Connor Gallagher is not a technical player and might suit just staying at Crystal Palace, but he is a Chelsea boy. I'd hate to see Connor Gallagher go to Chelsea and not play. That would be a shame. Aston Villa pull their season back. They did lose uh, recently but uh, to Liverpool, but they had gotten two wins in a row and kind of righted the ship a little bit. They're right there, minus one. Good season. They do sign Coutinho for £15 million, which is amazing considering Coutinho was bought, was sold to Barcelona and funded all of Liverpool for £120 million. Brentford on the beach had a great season. We know about Newcastle. This nice fight between 9 and 15, I guess, nine and f- that's 7 points. More like between 14 and 9. There's only 4 points between them. Any of these teams could really try and push and try and get into the top 10. Finishing in the top 10 for a lot of these clubs, this little middle class here, is a really big, big, big deal. Uh, Southampton haven't won in ages. Hope they turn themselves around. I like Hasenhutl, but it's a weird team. You could really see them going down any time at all. Uh, we'll see what happens with them. And Everton look to be safe. Burnley and Leeds will round out our final. And we said goodbye to Watford and Norwich, both really falling apart down the stretch, showing no fight on 21 and, and 23 points, respectively. Not really Premier League teams at this point. Pretty, pretty sad. Now, that was a very technical episode of the squeaky bum time podcast and i know mike and i try and pull things together that are outside of the connectivity of sport and normal sport and whatever Um, we haven't talked about some of the things that have gone on in the background like we have the chelsea sale we've had a revamped super league Um, we have a lot of little things like that happening around football Uh, we like to talk about narrative You know, we had a little bit of a rant about Liverpool and their story and how interesting it is that narratives on teams really stick for a long time. Like we were just talking about the Liverpool game, the Arsenal, the North London Derby, and how whatever whatever result was, something was going to be Spursy or Arsenal-y or, you know, but, you know, it doesn't fit when it doesn't fit, right? Spurs get this win. It makes a difference. And had they lost, it would have been Spursy. But the win just carries on for another day. And if they blow it down the stretch, it'll be Spursy without the North London Derby sort of being in line. But I do think a lot about institutional narratives for the Premier League and soccer in general. It's fascinating to me that these teams do carry them. And I wonder if it's just the media portraying them or do or does the media portray them and the players suck it in and it kind of is a self-reflecting thing the way like gangster you know the way the sopranos makes italian people wear tracksuits and gold or do they wear tracksuits and gold so the sopranos wear tracksuits and gold or italian mobster movies do they reflect on each other who came first is this chicken or the egg thing you know is spursy spursy because spurs players hear about spursy or because spurs really do blow things I don't know. Um, But having lived through Real Madrid, 
I think that there's something to it. I think that there is institutional strength and there are institutional narratives and and the culture of a club, culture club. And I wondered if if uh, Boy George used the word culture club with culture club, but I never thought about it. Um, I wonder how long it takes to build something like that, especially as I'm living in it with City, right? Like, how does City get over the hump? Is it just simply have to win one of these things so that that narrative changes? Or I think about PSG. How do these nouveau reach teams change their narratives? They have to be there year after year after year after year so no one remembers how it started? Or does that culture just hold on, right? Like if if City are in year 25 of being in a Champions League, does that narrative start to wane? I don't know. I don't know. And I find it also interesting how much American sports don't really have this. Um, we do a little bit. Some of the older baseball teams have curses. You know, we've got the curse of the Bambino and and the curse of the goat. But all it took was the team to win, and that stuff sort of washes away. It's not held on to the way some of these curses are, are held on to uh, in other things. But for the institutions that are football teams in Europe, because there's no free agency, because the teams are on their own, because they have this entity and less restrictions and rules and parity, there's none of that. There is no parity. Like you've got to be who you are and you've got to spend how you spend and the culture of your team is held on to. Um, it's really fascinating to learn about it and live through it and be a part of it. The other thing is, it is the 10th anniversary of the Sergio Aguero goal to defeat United on the last kick in the last minute in the last day of the season. A moment that um, I hold on to so dearly because it's the moment that my football fandom, and yes, I'm a plastic City fan. I declared for City, but they were never on TV in the U.S. We didn't have soccer regularly on TV in the U.S. You had to really hunt it down. And that moment was a transformative moment for me. I never felt the way I felt about any sport in any moment ever. The football grasped me in that moment lifted me out of the sky and dragged me around like I had a cloud at my feet. And I will always be appreciative of Sergio Aguero and appreciative of Mario Balotelli and that entire 2011-12 Manchester City team that just lifted me and took me to a place that I'm here now, 10 years later, still talking about football, still wanting to be a part of it, still loving it and giving me something in my late 30s and 40s that I would have never found. I would have been an old guy trying to watch baseball and find something in it. And instead, I have this whole new sport, not, well, sorry, new to fall in love with, not that it's a new sport, and learn about the narratives and get bored and get frustrated. And I have that. And I'm looking for those moments. I want that high again. And I have had it. Uh, the Liverpool January 3rd, uh, 2019 was one of the great moments. John Stone's off the line. That lifted me up. Um, I didn't feel it the rest of the way. I did feel it for the company goal. The company goal lifted me up. But winning that season because City just proceeded down the end and, and won it down the stretch, you know, that the moment was in that period. Um. Certain games, uh, Raheem Sterling versus Bournemouth comes to mind. <laughs> just a regular season game, just where you get lifted up. Uh, opponents' games, 
Spurs Ajax, a great game that that lifted me up, lifted me across the ground. You can feel it for other teams. I think that's the other amazing thing about football is that it can lift you up even if it's not your team. Just the nature of watching it, football can lift you up. I had that the other day watching Burnley. I was watching it. They were playing. Oh, God, I don't remember. Who was Burnley playing? I'll just look it up. And I felt myself rooting for Burnley. And when they got the late goal, that really lifted me up. And I think only football has this. Uh, It really is one of the only sports that has that moment of liftoff that you just can't find in any other sport. It's fucking incredible. Oh, it was Watford where they came back from two goals. Yes, Brownhill's goal, Cork and Brownhill. I completely lifted off the ground for Burnley, who I had been shouting and wanting to go down the whole season. So I'm grateful for football. I'm grateful for Sergio Aguero. And I'm grateful for this Manchester United, Manchester City team that has given me so much. And when they win the Champions League, which will happen, I will cry again. And Brian Alston, you can can enjoy it because I will cry. And I don't care. All right, I'm getting out of here. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with not Mike Salerno and Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, review the show. If you're on uh, YouTube, please subscribe. If you're on Twitch, please subscribe. We need every single person to help us grow. And thank you and good night.